You're listening to 10 Radio on 105.3 FM, streaming on the web at 10radio.org. You can contact us on 01984 624137. That's 01984 624137. And, of course, you can email us on info at 10radio.org. And if you want to text us as well, you can text in on 07786 Good morning and welcome to Talking Books. The day after the election, did anyone stay up all night? Not me, I didn't want to oversleep and be late for today's show because my guest is someone with a book hot off the press and a great true story to reveal. I first met David Venner after Shellshock Britain was published and discovered he was preparing a book with my own publisher, Pen and Sword Books. Before he became a writer, he had a career in countryside management and he's now a family history advisor where he also practices and he practices rural crafts in North Devon. We both have an interest in the First World War through a family connection. So I was interested to find out more about his work. His book, Dispatch Rider on the Western Front, was published this week. So welcome, David. Thank you very much. Good morning. Um, the dispatch rider in the title um, is your great uncle Albert Simpkin, um, and I believe the book came about after the discovery of a diary. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about the background to the story? Um, yes, yes. Um, Albert Simpkin um, uh, was born near Manchester. Um, he was an engineer, um, apprenticed to a firm called Crossley Brothers, who were the, one of the first makers of diesel engines in this country. His particular section made marine diesel engines. Um, and after the war, he went back to the same firm. They kept the job open for him. Um, he rose to become chief engineer. About the same time, he married the boss's daughter, which might be relevant or might not. <laughs> um, and in the late 20s, he was sent out to Argentina to look into the possibility of setting up a branch of the business out there. And they went out on his own, first of all and the prospects were favourable so he came back for his wife and they went out and he became managing director of Crossley Brothers Buenos Aires Limited uh, and that's where he stayed for the rest of his life and um, he spent his whole career with the one firm. Uh, my mother um, comes into the picture now she um, because they had no family of their own she was their executor. Um, Albert died in 1966 um, his widow lived until 1982 in April 1982, my mother found herself in Buenos Aires. She heard a commotion in the street outside, uh, a lot of flag waving, a lot of people shouting, and of course the, the Falklands had been course, invaded. Yes, yeah. So she found herself a sort of an enemy subject. <laughs> Not quite, but anyway. Yes. Um, the British uh, people there were... Um, they, they weren't um, uh, criticised too much, but it, it, life was uncomfortable, uh, shall we say. But, but anyway to get to the diary she found the diary amongst the papers that um, uh, Albert had left she managed to bring it back um, to this country plus his medals and a few photographs and trench maps and so on but very little else the Argentine authorities froze the assets but she brought the diary back that was the main thing she recognised its uh, interest uh, and um, handed it over to me because she thought I would you know, be interested in reading it and possibly getting it published. So I tried in the 80s to, to get it published. I had it retyped because it was full of um, handwritten amendments and um, it needed quite a bit of sorting out. I sent it to a, 
uh, a mainstream publisher and they said it's lovely it's a great great uh, document but it's far too long we can't possibly publish it and it would be you know a shame to try and edit it down it would lose its authenticity so I left it for 30 years um, it stayed in my attic all that time and then of course with the centenary of the First World War coming up um, in about 2012 I decided to uh, have another go at it sent it to Pen and Sword they said yes it's the sort of thing we publish but it's too long <laughs> and if you can cut it down by a third we're interested and um, so that's what I've already spent um, about 12 months doing cutting out 45,000 words of my great uncle's diary a uh, very difficult thing to do but yes. um, yeah I think it's a better a better book for it yes I mean and there's you know um, been a lot of books published over the past year 18 months that relate particularly to family stories don't they people's diaries and things mm -hmm. and and actually um yours has been particularly interesting because i certainly didn't know what a dispatch rider did or what the role of a dispatch rider was can you just give us a little bit of detail about what a dispatch rider was responsible for doing um Yes, I mean he was just uh, one of many f forms of, um, of of postman, if you like, of, of taking messages from um, the, the staff uh, in the headquarters of the division or of the corps, taking those messages to the front, and then bringing back any returns, um, any comments about how things were going on that particular part of the front. I mean there were a number of other ways of doing it. There were um, um, horseback, um, you know, mounted uh, dispatch riders. Um, there were cyclists, there were runners, they even used dogs, and of course they used pigeons, which Albert talks about in his diary. Uh, but the motorcycle dispatch riders, there were about ten um, to each um, divisional um, headquarters, and he was sergeant of his section, and he spent all his time just roaming around the, you know, the, the shell-pitted roads and the mud, um, trying to get his messages to the front. Uh, he often had to get off and, and walk, and then you know, struggled to find his machine again. Um, so he, he enjoyed some very difficult conditions, and I think he was very lucky to survive. Yes, because it was a dangerous job, wasn't it? It was, a it was very dangerous, yes. I mean, they were being shelled, um, occasionally sniper fire, you know, came and he had a near miss, really, with that. Uh, and just the conditions, really, the mud and the snow, they enjoyed some awful winters out there. Uh, he was on the Somme, uh, he was in the Ypres area. Uh, and wherever they went, they just seemed to, to meet um, very difficult conditions. Yes, he actually writes about that in his diary, doesn't he? Did you want to read a little bit, maybe, that, that describes yes. some of the conditions he had to endure? Yes, this is um, about one of the winters he spent in the Ypres area. We are having wretched weather, raining every day. After an hour's riding, we are plastered with mud from head to foot, and the only way to clean oneself is to wash down with buckets of water. The snow, this is another occasion when it had been snowing. The snow is melting rapidly and everywhere is deep in mud. I do not know which is the greater evil, snow or mud. Snow turns to water, but mud sticks closer than a brother. He writes, I mean, he writes very lyrically, actually, sometimes, doesn't he? He's, he's he not just the bald <clears throat> facts. It's, it's very thoughtful language he's using. It is indeed, yes. I mean, I did say to someone once that um, he writes very well for an engineer. <laughs> I, I realised that might be offensive <laughs> to engineers. Um, but he does. He has some lovely um, sort of turns of phrase. Yeah, he yeah. writes very well. What was he like as a man and as a soldier? Was he, was he a... Uh, <clears throat> well, as a, as a soldier, perhaps, first of all... Um, 
perhaps I can just um, you know read you his uh, yes, do. Um, the, the reference that he was given by yes. his um, uh, army officers when he left. Um, Sergeant Simkin has discharged the duties of NCO in charge of motorcycles and dispatch riders in the company with marked success. Energetic, keen and reliable in all his work. Exceptionally good disciplinarian and leader of men. Marked organising ability. Throughout his four years of active service, he has set a splendid example of personal gallantry, which has greatly influenced the personnel under his command. So obviously the, the officers thought highly of him. I mean, I only knew him really in the last ten years of his life. He, he married into my mother's family. Um, he married my grandmother's sister. Um, so from about the age of five to 15 when, when he died, I was 15 when he died, um, and because and he was in South America, um, I probably only met him five or six times, but it seems as though I, I know him far better than that suggests, um, because he came and based himself at our farm over near Bridgewater for the summer when he came. Um, his wife um, stayed, you know, to, to, to meet her family, her, her sister lived with us. Uh, and then Albert went off on his travels to, to head office and then um, they came back and um, so we had quite a long time with them each summer or every other summer but then between those visits he, he wrote me some lovely long letters about life in Argentina about the wildlife which he knew I was interested in um, the farming and, and it, was, it was really interesting to get those letters and mm -hmm. um, I think that's how I've developed a relationship really as much through his letters as, as from meeting him He'd probably actually be really pleased that the diary ended up in your hands, I should think, by the sound of the closeness of your written relationship anyway. I, I hope so, yes. I mean, he did intend to publish it himself, I'm sure, because right. um, there was a note stapled to the front of the, uh, the typescript which talks about you know, this book and, and the author of this book. So it was clear that he intended to publish. Why he didn't, I don't know. Possibly because it was too long and he hadn't got the heart to cut it down himself. Um, so um, yeah, I, I hope he would be pleased you know, mm. with the result. Yes. Um, I know that you've just read his uh, wonderful reference and recommendation from the officers, but he didn't have a particularly high opinion of officers himself, did he? Have you got any idea why that might be? He's, some, of the, some of the quotes that I've seen, uh, he's quite disparaging, isn't he? Well, he is, yes, because I mean, you have to remember he was about 30 years old when he went to war, so mm -hmm. he had quite a lot of life experience, um, he, you know, risen to quite a sort of senior position in his firm, and I think he just sort of felt that meeting some of these really junior officers straight out of public school, um, getting preferential treatment on, on the trains, uh, you know, going to and from the front on yes. leave, uh, and then when they were there, they had all the best restaurants uh, at their disposal. And this one example here, he, he talks about uh, sometimes when we have money, we go to Balia for a feed. But all the best places are reserved for offices, which greatly annoys us and, until we found a place of our own. Even the pipsqueaks, who a year ago, a year or two ago, were wiping their snotty little noses on their cuffs <laughs> for want of a handkerchief, may enter, while the highest NCO may not this childish snobbery of the old army sickens me. 
I think you know most people of his age and his experience would find that rather unfair, basically. Yes, and I just remember though that doing the work for Shell Short Britain, there is that flip side, isn't there? That you know that those junior officers were the ones that were more likely to, well, they wouldn't be enjoying that kind of luxury for very long. I mean, it's tragedy all round, really. Isn't well, that, that is very yeah. true. Yes, they, yes. they were the ones who have suffered the, the greatest casualty yes. ratios. I'm sure. Yes, yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. So maybe they deserved a bit. Preferential treatment. <laughs> well, looking back, <laughs> yes, maybe. Mm. Um, of course, having written Shellshock Britain myself, I'm really interested in how people cope with, how dealt with the trauma of of what they'd seen during the Great War, post-war. Um, did he adapt well to civilian life post-war? As far as I'm aware, yes. I mean, I say I only knew him in the last ten years of his life, um, when he was, you know, quite an old man, and then he was very jolly, very um, generous, he was a lovely man really. Um, he was like a substitute grandfather to me really because both of my grandfathers had died before I was born. Um, but when he visited he was always sort of treating us and um, a, a lovely man. Um, uh, and I can't remember sort of, well I was quite young at the time, I, I suppose I wouldn't have been aware of these things, but I can't remember anything really that would have suggested to me that he was you know, still suffering in any way from from the horrors that he'd witnessed in the war. He had a bit of a limp, and he just talked about having a, a motorcycle accident, which left him with a, a leg injury. But that was all I can really remember of, yes. of you know of, of any possible um, after effects of the of the war. Because he does describe some of the horrors he sees, doesn't he, in in his diary? Is there a little bit that you could? Yes, he do, he does. Um, just, I think this was um, after the Battle of the Somme. His division weren't directly involved, but they sort of moved forward after the initial sort mm -hmm. of thrust when so many people were, were killed. Um, higher up the trench, I came across the body of one of our men, badly mutilated. One of his arms had been blown off and half of his face was missing. The front of his tunic was shredded like wool and the ammunition in his pouches had exploded. A pretty ghastly sight but it raised no more feeling in me than one feels in a butcher's shop. War brings one down to the level of animals. Now that sort of thing, you know, he saw time and time again and it must have mm -hmm. had an impact on him um, in, in the years to follow. Yes, because it's almost, you know, I think people felt that almost guilty, I mean that's sort of survivor guilt, in that they maybe at the time didn't respond and those things did become almost... Well, they were. You saw those things too frequently to mm -hmm. respond mm -hmm. to them, and later on, I think it came out in other people's diaries. Maybe yes, yes. he does write so beautifully, doesn't he? I, I love the way he writes. That you know, mm -hmm. the, he's not just saying found a dead man, and you know, he's actually describing his emotional response to it. Yes, that's right. That's right. And you know, I think the fact that he wrote this diary, and I, I believe he wrote it very soon after the war, just simply because of the detail that he puts mm -hmm. into it. I mean, he, he talks about taking very cryptic notes during the war. I mean, mm -hmm. Soldiers weren't supposed to keep diaries at all for the you know, obvious reasons that they were taken yes. prisoner, then it could have helped the enemy. Yes. Um, so he talks about cryptic notes, um, which would have not been intelligible to anyone else. But then to convert that into this very detailed diary, I think it must have been done very soon after the war ended. Yes. Um, and possibly this is, was his way of, you know, of dealing with the, the experiences that were... You know, yes. flooding through his mind all the time, yes, and the, the nightmares perhaps that he had, yeah. just to get it all down on paper and, and to share his thoughts and feelings yes. with others. Yes, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, so now 
that this book is finished and you're just beginning all the marketing and making sure that people buy it and read it have you got any more plans to carry on writing uh, I would like to certainly um, I mean I have in the past written um, a family history the Benner family very much a, a Somerset and North Devon family uh, well I first did that in about 1980 so it's a generation or two out of date now um, and a, a lot of the current um, family the cousins and their children are very interested to have a, an updated version of that so I think mm -hmm. that's going to be a project that will occupy me in the next um, year or two but I also have another diary, which was um, a very much shorter diary, um, kept by my mother's brother, who was in the RAF in the Second World War. Um, sadly, he was shot down and, and killed um, aged 22. But he, he, le he left a diary of the times leading up to the war and then the first year or so of, of the war and his experiences. Uh, but then, of course, there's a very poignant part of the diary where there's a blank page following the, yes. the last um, flight yes. um, when he was shot down. So possibly I can do something with that uh, in the years to yes. come. Yes, yes. Um, so have you got any talks planned or a launch date for the book? Um, yes, yes, I have. Um, I'm launching the book um, in, a, in a little village community centre where I live. Um, it's a strange place to launch a book, perhaps, but I've lived there for 25 years. Um, a lot of family and friends in the area. Uh, this is at High Bickington Community Centre. Now, High Bickington is about nine miles south of Barnstable, uh, between South Moulton and Torrington, so a long way from Wibberliscombe, really, but if anyone happens to be in that direction or would <laughs> like to come, they'd be most welcome. Um, Wednesday the 20th of May uh, at 7pm. Um, anyone's welcome, it's free, and there'll be wine and nibbles and... Um, yes, yeah, so, and I'll be doing a, an illustrated talk about the diary and about Opus Simkin. Uh, but nearer to Taunton, or nearer to Wibberliscombe, in Taunton, there's to be a, um, a, another talk and a signing on Friday the 24th of July. Mm -hmm. um, so some way off, but um, that's at Brendan Books in Taunton, in Bath Place, 7pm. Again, um, a talk and a glass of wine. Uh, tickets are £5, um, obtainable from Brendan Books. Because the, the wonderful Brendan Books and Lionel Ward there, that's where I first met you, I think, wasn't it? Is it is indeed, because yes, when your I was, yes, 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 talking about Shell Shop Britain and mm -hmm. you came up afterwards and said that you were publishing... It, 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 I think Pen and Sword, as publishers, are very good, in a way, at linking people together. Yes, um, yes. I've met some really interesting people with some really fascinating books mm -hmm, from yeah, being published yeah. by Pen and Sword. It's a, It's a... A, a wonderful publisher for for history subjects, isn't it? I, I think, think they are, yes, and they're, and they're producing so many books, you know, yes. especially now in, in this sort of four years of the centenary. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. And they, they, I think they produce a very good book. In my case, I am pleased with it. Is yours a hardback? It is hardback. Yeah, yes, they're lovely, yes. aren't they? The hardback. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so I mean, I would encourage everybody, as we always do on this show, to go along to Brendan Books because I know Lionel's going to get some in, mm -hmm. isn't he? Indeed, um, yes. Uh, go along to Brendan Books um, before July if you want to, because mm -hmm. you can always take it along to the talk and and David will sign it there if you've already bought it. I'm sure. Mm -hmm, that's um, fine. Yes. Because, you know, it, uh, it's always really difficult, I think, to, as an author, although the publishers help you, to actually market the book yourself and to get it out there. And when it's a marvellous family story like this one, you want to make sure as many people as possible can read it, mm -hmm, don't you? Yeah. Um, you have a website where people can find out more about 
Albert, can't can't they? So yes, indeed. Yes, it's um, quite a long title. It's well, it's dispatch rider on the Western Front with hyphens between each of the words. Right. Uh, so dispatch rider on the Western Front dot co dot uk. Yes. And then there are extracts on there and um, further information about the events and talks and so on. Yes. So that you keep up to date with with um, where you're appearing. So That's to right. Speak. Yes. <laughs> you can also follow me on Twitter. Um, oh at, yes. At David Venner Four. At David Venerfall, mm-hmm. because I did tweet about this and I didn't know your Twitter handle or whatever it's called. Right. <laughs> I, should, I should go home and do it again. <laughs> um, yes, so obviously do go along and have a look at the book and, and you can see for yourself how uh, wonderfully descriptive, descriptive it is of some very, well, some of the most difficult situations faced by soldiers on the Western Front. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly as we go into 2016, yes, as we go into 2016 and we're um, going to have 100 years of the Battle of the Somme, I think some of the descriptions will be very apposite then. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I always want to, to allow people to have a little bit of time to decide, you know, to tell us a little bit more about why they've chosen their final piece of music. Um, and you've chosen a particularly lovely piece. Do you want to tell us why you chose it? Or what it yes, is and yes, why you indeed, chose it? Yes, indeed, yes. It's um, Vaughan Williams' um, Lark Ascending. Um, it really combines my interest in nature and in the First World War. Nature, obviously, the Skylark, the Lark Ascending. I think the Skylark and its song among my favourites of all, of all the bird songs. Yes. Um, and Vaughan Williams actually started to compose this piece in 1914. He then went off to the Western Front, survived the war, and came back and finished it. Yes. So I think it's particularly sort of uh, opposite. Um, and it's a nice little sort of um, twist in a way that I think... I read somewhere, and I hope it's true, that soldiers could still hear the skylark singing even amidst all the gunfire and the the noise and the, um, the turmoil of war. And that must have been, you know, slightly uplifting to them in all their in all their troubles to to hear a skylark and and to maybe re- be reminded of home. Yes. Um, so I think you know for that reason it's it's a, a nice a nice piece of music anyway, and it's a it's nice a wonderful choice. piece of music. Yeah, it's regularly yeah, yeah. like number one on Classic FM Hall of Fame and things, isn't it? It's it's mm, definitely mm. one of those pieces that that speaks to many of us, and not many people know about its links to the First World War. Mm, I think mm. possibly so. It's great that it's highlighted that. Well, thank you very much for coming in, David. Um, and dispatch rider on the Western Front, and there's another bit, isn't it? Is it 19... 1915 to 18. 1915 to <clears> 18. <throat> um, it's available now. I would recommend that you go and have a have a look at it. Um, take a look at David's website, um, and obviously get in touch with the with the studio if you've got any questions that we can pass on to David. And uh, um, I'd like to say a huge thank you and good luck with it as well. And uh, hope Thanks to very much. See you at a talk in the future. Thank you.
over to Tim Lewis now, who's going to just announce what we're going to hear for our music to go out on the show today. Thanks, Tim. Okay. Um, music I've chosen today, which 